It's a new Deos. Skyhawk goes purple. Couchbase has columns. Hidden NXP intruders. And all the reInvent news that you need to know on this week's holiday hangover edition of the Gestalt IT Rundown. Hi, everyone. I'm Tom Hollingsworth, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for Wednesday, November the 29th. We hope that you finally worked off all of that turkey, but we hope you left a little bit of room because it is, in fact, National Lemon Cream Pie Day. So dessert just keeps on going. I'm here with my favorite co-host and uh, someone who does enjoy the sweets, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, you're on site at reInvent. Do they have any really cool desserts that we need to check out? Well, probably the coolest one. Um, I went to uh, HashiCorp's uh, reception last night and um, at a restaurant called Chica, and they have a skull. It's a Mexican restaurant. They serve a skull that they light on fire. It um, rather grotesquely bursts into fire and splits open. I expected there to be monkey brains inside from the Temple of Doom, but instead there was uh, s'mores, actually, kind of, you know, chocolate and, and, and marshmallows and stuff. Uh, delicious, delicious flaming skull. Well, you know, sometimes you got to have a little bit of that uh, uh, extreme dessert. And we're going to jump into some great stories, but I would be remiss if I didn't tell everyone that it is, in fact, National Square Dancing Day. So grab your partner, Dosi Do. We've got lots of news. So here we go. The Linux Foundation has launched a new initiative focused on object storage. The new foundation is specifically focused on distributed asynchronous object storage which naturally gives the foundation its name of Deos. Deos is a high-performance open-source object storage system that's designed to work specifically with HPC and AI. Intel has been a contributor to Deos since all the way back in 2012, and they have donated their work to this new foundation to keep things open and, and allow for the free exchange of ideas and all the stuff that you would expect from an open-source project. Um, Stephen, what do you think about Deos? What do you think the future looks like here? Well, there's a couple things going on here. I mean, first off, um, this is uh, the kind of news that you come that you get out of supercomputing shows. Um, you know, we've got a high performance, uh, massively scalable object store uh, that's been used uh, in um, basically every uh, you know modern supercomputer. It seems like uh, Deos is really taking off um, with the supercomputer nerds. Um, getting a lot of, of use. It's also um, you know, competing with Lustre, which is the other big um, scalable um, storage platform used in that space. Uh, companies like Weka and Vast, of course, are trying to sell their products into um, the high-performance computing space, especially where it comes to uh, AI uh, applications and applications in the cloud. Uh, Deos also does a lot of those things. Now, we're pretty familiar with Deos. We have uh, actually had this uh, presented at our storage field day events over the years, um, back for the, for the last few years. Uh, in fact, Deos 2 was introduced at storage field day 22, according to my notes. Um, and, uh, we love the product. It's really, it's really, really cool. Um, originally many people thought that Deos like Vast actually was designed to, um, really around Optane, but the truth is just like Vast, Deos doesn't need Optane. Uh, it works great in other uh, environments as well. Um, word from the street is that it is really everything that it's cracked up to be. It really scales massively. Um, you know, we're talking huge volumes of data, bigger than any other system, um, except maybe Amazon S3. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it really is an incredible um, storage solution. Uh, it really can perform well. It can support HPC applications really well. Um, just all around a great 
uh, product. There are some, um, it is still a little challenging and nerdy to get it up and running right. Uh, it needs the right hardware, that sort of thing. And so there is still space in the world for uh, Lustre and, and, and Weka and Vast and others. Um, and I expect that those things are going to continue. Um, the other angle to this story, of course, is Intel. Uh, that's the elephant in the room. Uh, why is this a, um, you know, part of the Linux Foundation and so on? Why is that important? Well, it's important because it means that Intel's stewardship, um, which is rapidly coming to an end for a lot of products, uh, will not spell the end for Deos. I mean, essentially, this is now uh, given to the world. And um, even if Intel decides to refocus on manufacturing and processors, which is certainly something we've talked about a couple times here on the rundown, it won't mean the end of this important storage platform. So um, overall, a very good announcement, and I'm glad to see it coming. So Tom, uh, this week at AWS reInvent, I had a chance to meet up with some old friends who are over at a company called Skyhawk Security. Now we've talked to Skyhawk in the past and I spent some time with them and we'll be publishing a deep interview with them soon. But their announcement here uh, this week is a new platform that empowers uh, red teams and blue teams into, uh, I guess, a purple team to defend uh, modern applications in the cloud. The new Adaptive Cloud Threat Detection and Response product uh, continually analyzes a customer's cloud infrastructure, looking for holes and entry points. And of course, being 2023, the red team and the blue team are both AI-based. Uh, Tom, I had a chance to talk to them quite a lot. What's your uh, reaction to Skyhawk security? Well, you know, I'm the first person to tell you that AI doesn't need to solve every problem on the planet. But this is actually a problem that AI is really well designed to do, because what it's doing is, is it's, it's looking for potential avenues into your network. And in the old days, we know what that meant. We had to go engage our red team and we had to define the parameters and we had to work out a scope of, of attack and have them try to get in. And, you know, maybe we're going to try this. And is that still, you know, there's, there's a lot of nuance there, right? And, you know, we have to define when this is going to happen and we have to make sure the blue team's ready to do that. What if they all didn't need to earn overtime? What if they all didn't need coffee and sugar? What if they were AI constructs? And that's exactly what Skyhawk built here. Your attacking team is going to use the parameters that it knows from, from something probably like MITRE ATT&CK or some other frameworks, and it's gonna run against your defenses. And the defenders also are software, and they're gonna defend using best practices or whatever is in their playbook. And you're going to see how those two things interact. If you're getting shades of the Whopper from War Games, where you've got all of these well, operation plan response things, where, oh, you know, like that big screen at the end, where like everything's flying around and everything's flashing, not quite as much flashing, but it's that same idea. We're going to play this out and we're going to see how it happens. And if the, if the defenders always win, great, then we know we probably have a pretty good baseline of security. But if the attackers do get in, just like in any other red team, blue team scenario, it is something that we need to investigate. And maybe we need to put some human eyeballs on to try to figure out, change the attack parameters, change the way that the defenders operate. And I love the fact that they're calling it purple because we, we so often get hung up on this distinction. You know, are you an attacker? Are you a defender? No, you're both playing for the same team. It's like a basketball team. You play offense and defense. We're both working on the same puzzle. And so by changing things to be more purple focused, that means that we're the ultimate outcome is the same. 
our defenses are going to stay, you know, invalid. We're, we're going to make sure that everybody is protected. So I really can't wait to catch this interview that you did because I know that there's a lot of little nuance that goes into it. And in this, in the world of AI and all these kinds of things, especially where it intersects with security, there's a lot of advances. So this is something I'm definitely going to be paying attention to. I might even see if I can recruit one of these uh, red team AI groups for myself because if I don't have to buy them coffee, I mean, that's already a win in my, uh, my budget. All right, Stephen, Couchbase announced a new columnar data service this week at reInvent. Uh, the service, which they're calling Capella after the star, I assume, allows for real-time analytics on the same platform as operational workloads. Uh, in the linked article, according to Scott Anderson, the SVP of product management, this will reduce the latency between databases and analytics, which is important because it allows development teams to more quickly gather statistics and feedback to help improve their applications. Stephen, is the introduction of a columnar data service something that a lot of people have been looking for from Couchbase? And do you think that a lot of people are going to pick up on this and run with it? Yeah, I think this really goes to Couchbase's strengths. Um, if you're interested in what we're talking about here, I would recommend checking out their presentation from Cloudfield Day in June of this year, where they went through the Capella platform uh, pretty in, in detail. Essentially, Couchbase has built a uh, database as a service version of their uh, SQL++ based um, uh, database system. And uh, the Couchbase system has actually proven pretty popular uh, in the enterprise. They've got a ton of customers. Um, they've got a great reputation. Uh, people really like it. Now, it's a little controversial in the data space. Um, and certainly, there is a lot of controversy in the data space, especially when it comes to this topic of uh, analytics, because um, uh, most systems, basically, you have what's called an ETL process where you take uh, production data, you extract it, transform it, and then you load it into some other system in order to do analytics on it. Uh, Couchbase is promising that you'll be able to do that in the same system. This is the same promise that we're hearing from some other uh, uh, solutions in the data space. And um, it matches with the kind of talk that I'm hearing from companies across the data industry where uh, customers are increasingly trying to uh, get away from these islands of data and trying to bring business analytics into this uh, into the the fore instead of having it be an afterthought. So I love what uh, Couchbase is doing here. I love the fact that they're doing it in AWS. Again, at reInvent, there's a whole data zone with a lot of great companies that are doing a lot of really cool things around data. Uh, keep an eye on Gestalt IT for more coverage of the data space specifically. And um, you know, I think that this fits nicely into that milieu and it brings Couchbase up to date with uh, basically what customers are looking for at uh, in the cloud at an event like uh, AWS reInvent. Tom, Netherlands-based semiconductor company NXP is in the news this week thanks to a new report that says that a Chinese state hacking group had the run of their network for over two years. The report says that the Chimera Group had unfettered access in late 2017 and was only detected after breaching another area of the network and having their activity tracked back to their previous one. The attackers were snooping through mailboxes and shared drives looking for chip designs and flaw reports. A cloud security research firm posted reports about two years ago with details about Chimera services using uh, Dropbox and so on to infiltrate information. This report was later deleted, but an unnamed organization was later confirmed to be NXP. So this is one of those things that I really worry about when it comes to intrusions. 
Like we we see this all the time. Just throw a dart at a dartboard and you'll see all these breaches that we've discovered this year, right? You know, some of them were bad. Some of them were really bad. Some of them are really, really bad when you find out four years later that they were in your systems. Like that's how bad this is. It, obviously, NXP really didn't want anybody to know about this. You may remember that we've talked about NXP in the past because they're one of the companies that the United States is kind of you know, leaning on to say, we don't want you to export any more of your semiconductor manufacturing technology to China. And that's one of the things that started some of this, you know, brouhaha, if you want to call it that. So basically, you you see all this, right? You, you, you just remember our previous episodes of the rundown where we talked about the fact that the US doesn't want NXP to export any other stuff to China. Now rewind that clock back to, was it 2017? And the fact that people were in NXP, and we know that Chimera was a state-sponsored group. And what's the scary thing about state-sponsored groups? They don't make noise. They don't look like they're trying to, you know, make a name for themselves. You know, look at Lapsus. Lapsus makes enough noise that everybody knows it was them. Chimera, on the other hand, really didn't want anybody to find out. And they were able to exfiltrate a lot of stuff. So much so that somebody was able to write a report on it that was then mysteriously deleted. It's still available on archive.org if you check out the linked article. But the important thing is that they were in there for so long, who knows what they got. And remember that NXP is maybe not like they don't run your phone and they don't run your laptop, but they run a lot of the other stuff you interact with on a daily basis. So could you imagine how painful it would be if somehow they figured out how to, yeah, I don't know, um, compromise a chip. But more importantly, I don't think they were really looking for flaws to hack your credit card this holiday season. I think they were looking for designs that they can use to jumpstart technology in their country with their sponsors so that if everything does nosedive and relations do not warm that they can have um, some ideas ready to go off the shelf to kind of have their their own homegrown semiconductor industry that doesn't require the rest of the world to do input to it and that ultimately for me is why these things are so scary we won't know about them until it's so far gone that there's nothing we can do about it. Like if I catch somebody in my organization trying to encrypt my data, I can kick them out and I know what they were after. But four years from now, if my designs show up in somebody else's machine and I don't know how they got there, and then I realize that somebody was in my systems five years ago, that that bothers me. So uh, I'm glad that this is coming to light now, but you know, it's kind of one of those things where I want to shrug my shoulders and go, I don't know what we can do about it other than do better about fixing these things in the future. All right, Stephen, we mentioned it at the top of the show, but I want to make sure that, that everybody knows, you know, this week is Amazon Web Services reInvent. If you're in Vegas, you know this because it's taken over everything. It probably has more space taken up than the F1 race. Um, and just like every other show that we cover here, there's been a lot of big announcements that have been coming out of it. A lot of people on stage holding up chips and semi-trucks and snowmobiles and you name it. Um, we wanted to have a closer look at a couple of these because, you know, they're near and dear to our hearts and they also don't involve chatbots. Um, so the first one is that Amazon has announced that they will be using NVIDIA's NVSwitch technology to create new rack scale AI platforms. So this allows someone to take something like NVIDIA's Grace Hopper and build something using that, which is kind of like the de facto AI standard right now, or they can use Amazon's AWS Nitro DPUs along with elastic fabric adapters to build those. Do you know what 
Nitro's fabric adapter, Nitro and fabric adapters don't use InfiniBand. They use Ethernet instead, which I thought was kind of an interesting move. But here's the thing. We know that AWS has designs on getting into the AI game because they don't want the other companies who are sending all of these rack units out to be making all the money. So how does this play together, especially when you look at some of the other announcements, Stephen? Well, it is interesting to think, isn't it, that uh, AWS now has um, one of the biggest, um, if not the biggest, uh, NVIDIA uh, supercomputers out there. Uh, this is really next generation stuff. I think that it's important to recognize that this is based on the latest and greatest technology that NVIDIA has to offer. Um, they are absolutely leaning into uh, most of NVIDIA's technology, including the Grace and the Hopper, including NVLink, uh, which allows all of these devices to talk to each other in um, basically a um, massive uh, multiprocessor configuration. Um, the estimates on the size of this thing are just uh, unbelievable. Um, it's not clear to what extent it's up and running, but I would say that um, this is going to be uh, really an exascale supercomputer running in AWS focused around um, basically NVIDIA bound workloads. So uh, on the face of it, you know, basically we've got a beautiful announcement for somebody like uh, Jensen Huang to come out uh, on stage, which he did here at reInvent um, and announce alongside the Amazon AWS team and everybody looks great. But as you point out, there's a, a few nuances here. One of the nuances, of course, is the fact that it uses um, uh, Ethernet instead of InfiniBand. Um, that's interesting because basically everything else they're doing leans so far into NVIDIA's uh, technologies. Um, I have to give a special shout out to a great article over the next platform, which really goes through this. Uh, we'll include the link in the show notes. Um, but it points out that, for example, um, it appears that uh, you know high bandwidth memory is really the the whole ball game here. Basically, having a system with just massive amounts of memory is uh, what allows this thing to perform uh, as well as it does. And and frankly, um, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays alongside Amazon's other offerings. As you mentioned, uh, AWS also announced their own Graviton four and Tranium two processors. Uh, those could be seen as competitors for Grace and Hopper of course, along with Intel and AMD. So, um, you know, basically the, the, the news here is that uh, AWS is going to have an AI supercomputer just like their arch rival Microsoft does in Azure, uh, being the host of the popular uh, OpenAI uh, ChatGPT. And I think one thing that needs to be kind of pointed out here, kind of you mentioned it, NVIDIA has been using InfiniBand for a very long time because they own it. It, it. it came over in the Mellanox acquisition, and they're talking about the fact that it's very purpose-built for these workloads. But they've even admitted with uh, you know their Spectrum X technology that Ethernet is the way that they want to go. And when you talk to the people in the Ultra, Ultra Ethernet Consortium, Ethernet is the way they want to go too. I think that this is kind of maybe tacit admission from Amazon that they know they'll never beat NVIDIA at the, at the InfiniBand game. So think about it like this. If you want ultra high performance, you're gonna be buying it directly from NVIDIA. They're gonna drop ship you however many racks that it takes and they're gonna cable those up with InfiniBand. And you're gonna write them a really big check and you're gonna cry and you're gonna have your AI system. But if you don't wanna do that, if you wanna build your own system in the public cloud, Amazon will build it for you. 
Uh, the catch is, is that you probably won't be able to use InfiniBand because it does not leverage existing technologies that Amazon has. This does. If you already have a Nitro DPU in every server and you're already using elastic fabric adapters, I don't need to do any more extra plumbing to make this thing work, which is a huge win for Amazon because they don't have to invest in any new hardware and they don't have to you know, send somebody down to do some cabling chops. We just flick a couple switches and suddenly that's running the, the kind of um, Ethernet network, ultra Ethernet, you know, it's basically what it is, to connect all those systems together. And it can be elastic on demand however you want. You don't have to write the giant check to NVIDIA. You just have to write a slightly smaller check at least 12 times a year to Amazon to get that money back. And I think that that is the way that we're going to see this going forward. Microsoft may be an, an exception to this because of their heavy investment in open AI. They're going to use whatever open AI needs. But I think with Amazon, they're basically going to say, if you want InfiniBand, you're going to have to go to somebody else. If you want to use Ethernet, we're the horse that you want to run with. All right, Stephen, you mentioned two of those new chips, and I want to take a minute for us to kind of talk about them. Uh, the first is Graviton 4. It's the latest generation of Amazon's ARM processor. It has 50% more cores and 75% more memory bandwidth. It's based on the Demeter Neoverse V2 core. So that's the first one. The second one is Tranium 2. This is their AI processor. It has up to 4x performance increase from that first generation that they built about three years ago. It also can be liquid cooled. So that should tell you how hot this thing is going to be. It's designed to be deployed in clusters of 16 chips. So I think that Amazon is using Tranium as kind of a workload generator for all of this new NV switch stuff that they're doing. What do you think? Well, I'd say that Amazon is uh, covering the bases here. Um, so uh, let's, I guess, start with Tranium 2. So as, as you say, there, there's not a ton of information about exactly what it is. Uh, I'm still diving into that. Hopefully we'll have a deeper dive in the future into what this thing really is. But I think it's safe to say that Amazon is hard at work on a competitor for NVIDIA, which is, of course, we just talked about uh, powering their new uh, AI supercomputer. Uh, AWS has their own supercomputer as well, based on Tranium. Um, they say that it's up to four times faster than the first generation Tranium, which seems you know, credible. Uh, they also say that it's the fastest solution for training models in the cloud, which is an interesting thing for a company to say when they also have their own, uh, have this uh, NVIDIA supercomputer out there. Um, but I, okay. Um, you know, and, and they're going to be making this widely available to customers. I think that may end up being the difference. I think that the uh, NVIDIA Grace Hopper Superchip uh, system may be uh, less available and the Traniums uh, may be much, much more widely available. At least that's how it's been so far with the first generation Tranium processors. Um, so I'd say that all of this shows that Amazon is really keen on delivering their own um, in-house chips. They're not going to be just relying on NVIDIA as a provider. Um, and I think that that's, you know, kind of to be expected. Uh, when it comes to Graviton, um, you know, we've got Graviton 4 here, as you mentioned. Um, Graviton 4 has twice as many cores at 96 cores. Um, it appears to be a chiplet-based system um, with two chiplets on it. Uh, it appears to use the uh, four nanometer uh, TSMC chip manufacturing process, which is incidentally the same manufacturing process used by NVIDIA for their Grace and Hopper 
Um, and it also uses uh, the same Neovorfs uh, V2 cores that um, NVIDIA is using in the Grace superchip. So, uh, but, but I don't think you should confuse Grace and Graviton. Grace is really a support chip for the Hopper AI processors, uh, whereas Graviton 4 is a general purpose compute platform competing with Intel x86 and AMD in the cloud. And um, just like in the AI and training and GPU space, Amazon is trying to cover the bases here. They are gonna offer a nice high performance Graviton offering based on ARM, or they're gonna offer x86, or they're gonna offer AMD, and they would probably offer something else if there was something else that customers wanted. They're interested in basically giving uh, customers a wide variety of choices here. Um, I think that the interesting thing, honestly, about Graviton is that it's not a huge step forward, even though it is um, specs-wise a nice step forward. It's not going to be a huge step forward in terms of technology. Essentially, this is a shrink. It's a doubling with chiplets. It's a nice move forward for the Graviton line. It's not a revolution, um, except when it comes to memory bandwidth. It does have quite a lot more memory bandwidth. And uh, it could be that Amazon is going to be doing things like having um, multi-socket uh, servers that have much, much more memory. Uh, if that's the case, then we could actually have a news story here. But otherwise, uh, I think that Graviton 4 looks like more good stuff from Amazon. Yeah, I would agree. All right, Stephen, one more announcement we wanted to talk about. In the data space, AWS made news with the GA of Bedrock, which enables customers to run foundational ML models from companies like Anthropic, Meta, and, of course, AWS itself. But many companies are worried about hallucination and want to include their own data in these models, and that's what AWS is delivering with something called guardrails. Uh, it's what AWS partners are leaning into. Stephen, what's the deal with guardrails for Bedrock? Yeah, I think that, uh, as you mentioned, uh, AWS did announce Q, which is a chatbot, but we're going to steer clear of that. Uh, let's talk about Bedrock because it's more relevant to our audience. Uh, Bedrock allows you to run um, ML models from a variety of sources in uh, the cloud and integrate them with your own data to some extent. Now, I, I actually did an interview with a company called Click that integrates with Bedrock and allows you to absolutely pull in enterprise data, build custom chatbots based on publicly trained models that really have access to your own information. Um, very cool stuff. And it's on the lips of basically everybody here. I keep talking to people at the show about uh, machine learning, and they're not talking about, oh, I wish I had a better chatbot. What they're saying is, I wish I had essentially a uh, artificially intelligent intern that I could ask about my company's data that wouldn't make stuff up. And that would be nice, wouldn't it? So uh, AWS is leaning into that as well. Um, Guardrails is actually a really smart uh, product. Essentially, it allows you to uh, restrain the worst uh, tendencies of your um, ML models. So you can say, for example, here's a set of topics that are off limits. Uh, here's a set of words that are off limits. Um, you can say, here's the data that you have to use in order to make your judgment. You can't use whatever data was baked into the training to begin with. Um, and, and again, this is very smart. Now, I don't know how great this product is because, of course, it's new and, you know, it'll take a while for us to really see where it goes. Um, but it's the right idea. Essentially, what we need to take uh, AI to the next level um, when it comes to ML models is we need the ability to incorporate our own data and to build custom versions of these things and to put, to steal uh, Amazon's uh, trademark name here, guardrails, 
around those things so that they don't hallucinate, so they don't go off the rails, and so they don't go, uh, you know, bringing in data that we would rather not have these systems use. Um, I think that it's going to be important for customers that are implementing uh, machine learning, especially uh, gener generative AI, to put guardrails around these models, because otherwise they're just going to have more egg on their face when the models do stupid stuff. I like that point. And I'm thinking back to a presentation we got earlier this year in May from Juniper Networks at uh, Mobility Field Day 9, um, where they were talking about the fact that they were going to build a system using AI, <laughs> their Marvis AI, but in a GPT kind of, um, sorry, chat GPT kind of interface where I can ask it questions. Um, but they don't want it to pull in stuff from the internet because that stuff could be wrong. What they want is to only go through the database of, you know, known issues or things like that just for their system. And they want it to return answers that are correct or not return an answer at all, as opposed to what I have said is the, the chat GPT method of, salesmanship. I don't care what the answer looks like as long as I give you one, even if it's completely, totally wrong and I made some stuff up. So I think that those guardrails are really important because it, A, tells the system to only use these data sets, B, tells it to return answers that are factually correct, and C, keeps people from mining data using your chat interface. And if you don't think folks can do that, all you got to do is Google prompt engineering and you can find very creative ways to ask a, a learning system to send you information it shouldn't be talking to you about. Every time someone types something into a GPT, chat GPT interface and gets a response that says, I'm not allowed to talk about that for X number of reasons, they will immediately then try to find a way to coach the system to give it that. Could you imagine what would happen if it suddenly started spouting out personally identifiable information? <laughs> You'd go nuts, and so would the press. So I like this idea of saying, here's what we're going to work on, here's what we're going to build, and here's all the things you're not allowed to do with it. Um, you know, Asimov has his three rules. I think this is probably going to be, you know, three laws. This is going to be a little bit more than that, but I think it's, it's important to kind of get that foundational aspect in there now as opposed to later. All right, that'll just about do it for this episode of The Rundown. I know there's a lot of things going on, and there's a lot of information coming out of reInvent. And Stephen, I know that you've talked to a lot of companies that are there at reInvent. Where can people go to see some of the stuff that you've created? Well, um, I've been producing uh, short-form uh, videos, uh, including uh, interviews and, and, and just thoughts from the show. Uh, check out the Gestalt IT video YouTube channel for those. Uh, or you know, find us on LinkedIn. I think that's a great place. But also stay tuned to Gestalt IT because we're going to have some deep dive interviews and articles coming out from uh, Haiku, from Click, and from Skyhawk Security next week based on uh, projects that we've conducted here at AWS reInvent. All right, Stephen. Well, thanks for that. And I know there's a lot of great stuff that's been coming out, and I can't wait to dig into it as well. Something else we're digging into is the event calendar for 2024. That's right, we're getting close to the end of the year, but that doesn't mean we're gonna stop. In fact, we're gonna keep going right on forward with our first events in 2024. And Stephen's up with the first event in 2024. What can you tell us about it? Well, uh, end of January, uh, January 31st, February 1st, we've got Cloud Field Day. That's right, we're returning to the cloud and we are currently selecting our delegate panel. It looks like it's gonna be an all-star panel with some of my favorite folks joining us as well as some great companies signing up for that. So stay tuned to Tech Field Day's channels for uh, more announcements. 
Speaking of returns, I'm very excited to announce that I will be returning to Amsterdam for Tech Field Day Extra at Cisco Live EMEA 2024. I could not get enough of all of the great stuff, and Lord knows my Stroopwafel collection is finally starting to kind of taper off a little bit. But thankfully, we're going to be hearing great presentations from our friends at Cisco, along with a few other companies, and you're going to want to stay tuned to our website at techfieldday.com to find out more about them. We're also going to have a great lineup of delegates. We're going to be focusing on a variety of topics that you're not going to want to miss. And we, for those of you who are not going to be able to watch live because you're not up at the crack of dawn Amsterdam time, we will be publishing all of those videos to our website uh, and also to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash techfieldday. So if you're like me and can't sleep, you can watch it live. If you prefer to get your beauty rest and would like to catch the recordings, we'll have those available as well. And then Stephen, after that, you've got another big event coming up. Yep, I am very thrilled to announce that AI Field Day is returning February 21st and 22nd. Um, we have a very big announcement to make very soon about our anchor company for AI Field Day. Uh, we're partnering with our friends over at the Futurum Group on this event as well. And I can't wait to see what comes out of our AI Field Day. Again, we're going to be bringing together a great group of people. Unfortunately, no French fries with mayonnaise at AI Field Day, though you'll probably get some at Cisco Live. You know, if that's your thing, we are totally supportive of every way you want to consume the good things that you enjoy. Just like here at The Rundown, if you want to consume us through YouTube, you can do that youtube.com slash gestalt it video if you want to read the show notes and see the articles that we pull some of this information from you can do that at gestalt it.com that is the best place to get all of the news and probably some of the jokes that we write in here but if you are the kind of person like the french fries mayonnaise person who really doesn't want to look at steven and i but would prefer to uh, listen to the town the tones of our voice maybe to put yourself to sleep you can do that too. We are on every podcast channel you can think of. Just look for Gestalt IT Rundown. I do not recommend using us to go to sleep. I will give you nightmares. Steven, on the other hand, he is that dreamy voice in the ear the talking about all the cool things. And we're going to continue to do that every week for the next, well, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years. As long as there's tech news, we're going to be here. Now, after 30 years, my voice is probably going to be a little bit raspy, but that's totally okay because I'll just record myself through AI and I'll have the AI do it. We'll be back next Wednesday around 1230 Eastern time with more great news. Um, hopefully some cool things happening at the end of the year, always something going on. And if you have anything that you would like us to talk about, make sure you tweet at gestaltit.com. Uh, you can tag one of us. Uh, I'm networking nerd on most social media platforms. My boss is at S Foskett. And uh, usually we can try to work it into the story. If it's something you want to talk about, we definitely want to talk about it too. But until next week, get a lemon cream pie, get some uh, square dancing shoes, get out there and learn how to cut a square rug. And uh, we'll be back with more great stuff. We'll see you then. 